Welcome to Comms in Asia, where we unpack the vibrant world of communication and technology in Asia Pacific. Join us as we analyze and interpret the role of owned and earned media strategies for brands and publishers. Breaking down the latest trends, challenges, and opportunities in the industry, we'll bring you nuanced viewpoints from experts in the field as we dive into the various methods that brands can use to reach their target audience and drive awareness in the world's fastest growing markets. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Leighton Kosseboom, head of PR and comms at AC Ventures and co-founder of C2 Media, the parent company of Content Grow, a managed talent network for companies to work with high-quality freelance writers and journalists worldwide. PR in Asia has some distinct characteristics that set it apart from PR practices in other parts of the world. These include a variety of cultural differences, social media behaviors, and government relations, to name a few. As new tech like AI emerges to change the very face of the industry, many PR pros may be wondering how best to adapt. My next guest has a unique vantage point on Asia's comm space. Arun Sudhaman is CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Provoke Media, formerly known as The Holmes Report. It's an online media focused on inspiring PR professionals to deliver competitive advantages with media ethics in mind and elevating the status of PR by demonstrating its business value and responsible practices. They do this through analysis, best practices, awards, and ethical evaluations. Arun, welcome to the show. Leighton, hi. Thanks a lot for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Wonderful. So I just want to, you know, ask you to share a bit with our audience about your backstory and, you know, kind of how you came to be involved with the Holmes Report, which is now Provoke Media. And for those who are uninitiated, what is the company all about today and, and what's its mission? Well, I'll give you a, a sort of an abridged version of my backstory because I don't want to bore listeners too much. I started as a journalist at the South China Morning Post in Hong Kong, which many people may be familiar with. It's uh, one of Asia's biggest English language newspapers. And then I actually spent some time uh, at a public relations agency called Weber Shandwick, also another name that many listeners will be familiar with. And so I got some insight into the the kind of PR world quite early in my career. And um, I found it quite interesting, but I wasn't that keen on, on working agency side. I, I wanted to move back into journalism. I took a brief detour into legal journalism, spent enough time in that to uh, to conclude that it definitely wasn't for me. Uh, and then I got the, the chance to join Haymarket and specifically PR Week Asia and Campaign Asia. Uh, this is around 20 years ago. And I, I, I sort of jumped at that opportunity because by that point, I was quite interested in, in the whole world of public relations, of communications, and, and, and in fact, advertising and marketing, because I was covering those sectors as well. I spent a total of seven years with Haymarket. I was editor of PR Week Asia. I was deputy editor of Campaign Asia, although it was known back then as, uh, as media. Um, I worked in Hong Kong and Singapore. Then I moved to London um, and I worked as associate editor for PR UK. And I also contributed to Campaign UK as well. Um, and by that point, I had I had kind of begun to, to specialize in public relations. Um, I always found it really interesting. And increasingly, I found it more interesting than the advertising sector. Uh, and in particular, I was very focused on the global public relations market. 
Um, and so in 2010, when Paul Holmes got in touch with me, uh, I was quite interested in, in, in what he had to say. So he was obviously the founder of the Holmes Report. And whilst they were a much smaller outfit than Haymarket, you know, which is a you know, fairly big kind of mid-size B2B publishing company, the Holmes Report was, was really, you know, one or two people back then. But it had a very global view of the market, which was quite different to what I was used to at Haymarket. And also it kind of gave me the opportunity to build an editorial brand, to take on ownership. Uh, and these were all kind, you know, kind of things that weren't necessarily on offer at Haymarket. Uh, and I think by that point, I was also realizing that as a journalist, um, it's an industry that can sometimes seem like it's in decline. You know, newsrooms are often shrinking. That you know, so, so sometimes they do. You do see a boom, but quite often it's, it's more of a more of a decline. Uh, and I, I saw this as an opportunity to remain a journalist, which is what I wanted to do, without necessarily being subject to some of the pressures that you see in other newsrooms at, at bigger media companies. So I joined. It was a little bit of a, of a kind of leap of faith because it was a you know it's a tiny company back then, the Homes Report. And I've been with them now for 13 years. We rebranded to Provoke Media three years ago, and we've grown steadily throughout that time. But really, I think it's because of our core focus on the global public relations industry, on, on the fact that we have you know, people around the world. We have, you know, I think, a, a certain depth of insight and knowledge and, and relationships with the industry that has really helped us. Um, so that's, that's really my backstory you know, in a nutshell, in terms of, of Provoke, I mean, I think you, you actually explained it pretty well in your intro in terms of what we do. Our, our, our mission, I suppose, is to provide insight and intelligence um, for public relations professionals or for people who are interested in the public relations industry. We do that through our news, our analysis, our features, our reports, our research, our awards, our events. We always try to, as we put it, prove and improve the value of public relations. I think that public relations in general has um, has has had issues in terms of demonstrating and proving its value um, to the to the broader business world. So that's always been part of our mission, and that goes not just in terms of its business value, but actually, you know, its value from from even more of a philosophical perspective. When you're talking about, you know, sometimes the 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 attacks that that are made on on PR as a discipline itself in in the mainstream media, but we're not, you know, I wouldn't say we're neither are we apologists. I think for the sector, I think we have been big champions of the need for ethics, actually of the need for more scrutiny and of the need to call out uh, certain practices um, when when they need to be. So. You know, ultimately, it, it is it's B two B industry journalism, uh, but we have seen that you know focusing on a niche can can actually be really valuable. And and I think what has helped us is the fact that so many of the issues that were once considered niche public relations issues have actually become really mainstream issues now. So, for example, you know, business activism, stakeholder capitalism, uh, ESG disinformation. These were all 10 years ago, I think, niche 
PR issues. We talked about them a lot, but now you see, you know, everyone's talking about them a lot. And that, I think, has helped us a lot. Why did you feel like PR journalism was more interesting or more compelling than, say, advertising land or, uh, you know, the other subsectors of comms in general? Just wanted to understand why you thought this one was, I don't know, maybe the most underserved or the, the, the most promising? Yeah, I just want to hear that. It's actually a question I get a lot because ultimately there's, there's not very many journalists covering the public relations industry and there are many covering the advertising industry. For me, why I found public relations more interesting than advertising was number one, I found public relations had a much stronger relationship to the real world. So, for example, you would often, and, and we often do, we write about real world issues when we're writing about public relations. We write about crises that companies are facing. We write about organizational challenges. We write about things like geopolitical risk, cybersecurity. With advertising, often the coverage, I don't want to say it was, it was more artificial, but you know, there's, there's an element of make-believe to a lot of it. You know, there's advertising campaigns, and this is kind of what's so great in a way about advertising is it, it's often, it's often more aspirational. But because of that, it, it can be less linked, has less of a strong relationship, I believe, to uh, real world issues, although that has changed. And I think a lot of advertising now has realized it has to be far more realistic um, in its approach and it has to, to acknowledge social issues. But, but actually, I think that has played to, um, that has played to the PR industry strengths in many ways. I found the public relations industry's focus on multiple stakeholders far more interesting. In advertising, the typical focus is on um, the customer and the customer alone. And you can say that about the marketing function in general. Whereas when we talk about public relations, it really is the whole spectrum of stakeholders. It's not just customers. And when we say customers, it's not just consumers. It's often B2B customers. But it's also you know, as important are employees. Um, shareholders, regulators, NGOs, community organizations. And that to me is, um, you know, it's, it's far more important for, for a business to have, or, or any organization to have that multi-stakeholder view rather than, you know, thinking of creativity and storytelling just as a, as a means to boost sales. But there was just something about PR people and their ability to, I think, blur the lines across all of these, these different areas which I've always found really compelling. And, and just to be able to have conversations about, you know, media ethics one day, supply chain and sanctions the next day, I don't know, self-driving cars and risks the day after, you know, that kind of thing happens, would happen less often when I was covering advertising, I found. With that in mind, I want to ask, what are some of the biggest trends and challenges facing the PR and comms industry in APAC right now that you are seeing? I would say the biggest, the biggest challenge for the industry in this, in this part of the world, and, and I should caveat that it's, it's always difficult, as you would know, to generalize when you're talking about Asia Pacific. Yeah, every market is different. And you know, there really is, is so little, I think, that unifies the region except perhaps they have similar time zones maybe and, and, and climate. But when you're talking about culturally, it's, it's incredibly diverse. But one thing that is common, I think, to most markets in this region is um, challenges around talent 
um, about finding good people who can work uh, in in this industry, whether that's in-house or on the agency side. Uh, It's hard to find good people, whether that's at a graduate level or at a mid-level or even at a senior level. It's hard to persuade them that public relations is the career for them. Um, And then it's hard to keep them as well and, and to stop them from joining either another public relations firm or in-house department or even leaving the industry. I mean, this this is a, an industry that has always had issues in terms of people who just leave, you know, and go and do something else completely. It is often an industry that people fall into um, and it's not necessarily something they dream of doing from, from a young age. It's not something that... So talent is difficult and that has had knock-on effects as we've seen a young, a new generation enter the workforce, you know, I think employee culture is more important than ever. It's really important to have uh, strong, uh, vibrant, caring workplaces. That wasn't always the case in this industry, particularly in this part of the world. It sometimes has had a reputation for long hours, for kind of sweatshop culture. And then, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion has become really important from that perspective as well. And, you know, in, in some markets, there has been too much of a of an emphasis on importing international talent, and you know you can understand why, but um, that has needed to change, and and it is changing now. Um, so that's one big challenge. I think as China opens up again now, the big you know everyone is is wondering. I was in meetings yesterday, uh, two meetings. First question is, what are you hearing about China? Do you expect um, do you expect better growth this year? It's very important. If you look at it from an agency perspective, for many agencies, you know, as much as half of their revenue is tied up in China. So it's an important source of growth. Other kind of interesting trends and challenges, I think there's sort of obviously there's mac- macro issues, there's economic uncertainty, although it seems to seem that seems to be lessening in this region at least. But there are still a lot of geopolitical issues, particularly in terms of China and the US, but that has knock-on effects for other markets in the region including India, including Taiwan, um, including Japan and Korea. Um, there's the growth of what I would call previously, previously specialist areas. So public affairs, digital marketing, healthcare. And then finally, I would just say more broadly, there's, you know, and this is, this is a global trend, but I think it's, it's, it's probably particularly pronounced in Asia because it's it's kind of, you know, often in Asia you see like an acceleration, a compression. But public relations is a young industry in Asia. You kind of, I think, always have to remember that. You know, in America it's like, I mean, you could say the formal modern PR industry is, is 100 years old in America. In Asia it's maybe 40 years old. Um, so it's a lot younger but what we have seen, particularly through the pandemic, is, is a kind of overall elevation in the value of PR, which has always been a challenge um, in terms of it not being valued appropriately in this region, it not being funded appropriately. Um, but I think the pandemic reminded everyone that that multi-stakeholder view is really important and that business has 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 a role to play when it comes to social issues. Um, and that's happening in Asia too. I'm wondering what are the what are maybe the top two or three numbers and stats that that come to mind, you know, when you think of where this where this industry is going. What are the most compelling numbers that maybe not a lot of people know about or or assign enough value to in your opinion? 
Hmm, that's a really good question. I don't know how accurate this is anymore, but certainly the last time I saw research on it, um, I think most companies spend 10% of their overall marketing and communications budget is spent on public relations. And the other 90% is spent on advertising and media buying and maybe digital marketing. I think that's a huge challenge for the industry. Obviously, there are companies that have have changed that, have increased the proportion. But we haven't honestly seen a big increase in communications budgets, certainly in the in the two decades I've been covering this industry. Which is weird because the value of earned media over a paid media, in my opinion, is, is just so much more uh, valuable in general. Um, you know. So I think that has changed. The appreciation, appreciation of the value has changed. But what we've seen is companies often address that via their marketing budgets. So it doesn't always benefit public relations people, public relations agencies, or in-house communications departments. Sometimes we see it's the marketing function that is you know, spending more on social media, spending more on digital engagement. And I think that's a challenge. So either it calls for them to get better at, at finding ways into the marketing budget, uh, which some agencies have been able to do successfully, or it requires on the client side an appreciation that comms budgets need to grow and need to expand. So that's one number I think that's really interesting. We, we do a research study called the Comms Index, which polls in-house communications directors, and we ask them whether they think they are understaffed, overstaffed, appropriately staffed. I think something like 95% think they're understaffed. And with that, all right, so we have to you have to admit everyone thinks they're understaffed, right? Like I think I'm understaffed. You probably think you're understaffed, especially in Asia. But my own coverage of this industry, you know, I was talking to a comms head uh, the other day, two days ago, one of the biggest companies in the world. Her comms team in Asia is five people. Um, I regularly talk to big companies in this region where the comms team is in single digits. Um, and that's regional. Okay, yes, there's local people, but they often report into the local markets. So. Maybe I've just been here for so long, like that number sounds normal to me. It's not, because if you look at the comms departments in America, and that's just one market, right? And yes, it's a big market and it's huge and it's so important. And we know how important America is to the in terms of public relations, but you are talking double, triple digit comms departments, dozens. Yes, sometimes, you know, more than a hundred. And that is, I think that's a real, that's a real issue because uh, it's not just a problem in terms of kind of the, the budget that's being spent on communications. But when you think about the diversity of markets in Asia, I just, you know, it's so hard to manage without appropriate headcount. So it's interesting that you're talking about headcounts, you know, and how they're just so much larger in in the U.S. And so with a homogenized market like that, it makes me wonder how many of these more junior people on these larger teams are going to become potentially redundant if they are copywriters, for example, due to the emergence of, wait for it, chat GPT and AI. Um, just wanted to get your take on that piece of tech. What does it mean for, for PR professionals? Are you for it? Are you against it? Are you just kind of watching it? Do you use it? How do you feel about it in general? What's your sentiment? I wouldn't say that I'm either for it or against it. It sort of is. It is what it is, right? To use a somewhat horrible phrase. It's not going away. 
I think we have to we have to figure it out. It's even though artificial intelligence has been around quite a long time, I think the emergence of chat GPT has, you know, changed the game to a certain extent because of, of its ability to do a lot of things. Still not sure on how well it's doing them. We've seen a lot of stuff, you know, I saw that there was the story about CNET using it to write articles and many, many mistakes. I think it had to retract many many articles i can't actually use it in hong kong it's it's not uh, is it's it's yeah it's not available in china um and even even with a vpn you need a you need a phone number from from a market in which it is available uh, but there is a a hack i found so i have actually been able to play around a little bit with it and if it's it's funny because i was actually using it uh, i have an interview I'm interviewing someone after this podcast and I, I asked to suggest some questions. And um, I mean, a couple out of 10 questions, it suggested a couple of them were, were, were good. They weren't great in, in the sense that they weren't very specific, but they were quite good from a vague perspective. I think with any of these tools, it's only as good as the data that goes in. We know how chat GPT works, right? It crunches all the information that's out there. That means mistakes and all. Uh, it's very easy to manipulate, I think, with disinformation. It's subject to a, a bias, so there's a lot of I think diversity questions around it as well. Um, I think it has to be you know managed quite effectively if it's going to be useful. Will it replace people, and can it automate uh, some of the public relations work, even journalism work? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Um, is that a bad thing? It's bad for people that you know maybe find that their work is 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 um, being replaced by a, a machine, but you know, the, that's kind of a broad shift, I think, that the industry has to make towards higher value work. And I'd say the same for journalism as well. Yeah. So it, it would. So anyone who is who fancies themselves just a straightforward copywriter may need to rethink whether or not, you know, they, they want to go into the more project management or strategic side of things rather than just being the one who, who writes the, the words, right? Because now, or they, or they could leverage this to, to, to sort of use it to their advantage right now. I think we're some way away yet from a, from a situation where ChatGPT can write all of your copy. Certainly, if we're talking about like really creative and interesting copy, I do know people who've, who've used it to write press releases and they were quite happy with it. But you still need someone to check it, every single thing in it, make sure it's all... So it can, I think it can actually help in a way, you know, but... There will be a temptation, I think, ultimately, especially with the, the new chat GPT is coming out. I think there will be a temptation to use it and, and, and to, to maybe, you know, decrease headcount and, and use chat GPT more and, and some of these AI tools more. But I would, I would say everyone needs to be quite careful about that. All right. So I just, before we, before we wrap up here, I just want to kind of get your your opinion, your take on things since, you know, 2022 until now. What are some of the most innovative and successful PR and comms campaigns that you've seen executed in the region? Um, or, you know, if if you could name a few that stick out to you, that would be great. And then more on the business side, how about, you know, deals that you have seen that are interesting or unexpected or you think might have effects on the landscape? Yeah, sure. Um, so in terms of, of campaigns, I'm going to, uh, you know, we run the Sabre Awards in Asia Pacific, uh, which is, you know, I think a really big awards show. So we see a lot of, a lot of good work, three, three campaigns that stand out. And this actually, 
um, speaks to how businesses is tackling social issue, issues in this region. One of the things I hear sometimes is that um, all all this all this talk about brand activism is like a Western notion that doesn't apply in Asia, and I just it's just not true. Um, and I think there is a resistance to the idea that business should get involved in social issues in some Asian countries, but it, that ship has sailed. I think it's already happening, and we saw it happening so much during the pandemic. And, so, and that really is the best work that we're seeing. So, um, a couple of years ago, a campaign from Lenovo won our Asia Pacific Saber Awards, and then also won our Global Saber Awards, where we rank the top campaigns in the world. And this was from Lenovo. It was called from from the world's factory to the world's engine. And it was a campaign that, that basically helped to reframe traditional perceptions of Chinese manufacturing. So moving it away from that kind of sweatshop perception to one um, focused far more on innovation. Um, and that was a really interesting campaign. It, it was very successful for Lenovo's own manufacturing solutions group. It actually drove a lot of business conversions, which is also a thing we like to see with modern public relations, you know, actual real behavioral change in terms of results. Well, I mean, in terms of industry deals, the most common and the most interesting ones from our perspective is when agencies are acquired and there have been, I mean, that you know, actually there have not been that many, I think, really big acquisitions in Asia over the last couple of years. Uh, I would probably expect to see more. I think an Australian agency, Sling and Stone, which has actually expanded into Asia, that they were acquired by, I forget the name of the acquirer now, the holding group, but that was a very interesting one because they were one of the best performing agencies in the region. I'll tell you what I found really interesting. An agency called Sandpiper um, conducted an MBO, actually bought itself out of holding group ownership. That's interesting. Yeah. So as we as we close out the episode here today, I was just wondering, like, what kind of advice do you have for PR pros and, and agency owners and stakeholders in the PR industry for 2023 and beyond? What's, what's top of mind for you? I, I would say it's the same as it always is, really. You know, the importance of listening, the importance of empathy, understanding context, um, the operating landscape, uh, really understanding and appreciating local attitudes and trends and, 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 and listening rather than, rather than just talking, um, which I think, you know, fundamentally that's kind of, that's the sort of recipe I think for successful public relations in any region. Um, but I think in Asia becomes, sometimes it feels like it's even more important because there's such, such a diversity in terms of local populations. 